0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I continue, if you'd like to support the podcast, I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash Canada X, that's E-H-X. You can support the podcast through a variety of different tiers, and every dollar that you help us with helps keep the podcast going. Parliament Hill is a symbol of Canada. It is found on our money, and it is easily recognizable to nearly every Canadian. While this episode is about the fire that erupted at Parliament Hill during the First World War, we should look at some of the history of the buildings. After Ottawa was chosen to be the new capital of the province of Canada, ground was broken on December 20th, 1859, with the first stones being laid on April 16th. On September 1st, 1860, Prince Albert Edward, the future King Edward VII, would lay the cornerstone of the centre block. Construction continued on the site and Parliament Hill would become the largest construction project undertaken in North America to that point. It was also very costly. By 1861, $1.4 million had been spent on construction and everything was halted for two years until a commission of inquiry could look at the high cost of the construction. So it should be noted that $1.4 million back then is about $41 million today. Construction would continue and two years later the site was still unfinished but it would play host to the celebration of Queen Victoria's birthday. In 1867, the year of confederation when Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick formed to create Canada, Parliament Hill was still not finished, and the growth of the country over the next few years would result in more construction being done on the building to accommodate the increased bureaucracy needs. In 1876, the structures of Parliament Hill were finished, along with the fence and gates, but the grounds were not yet designed. So after all these years of construction, the site was ready to serve as the centre of the Canadian government. Now let's fast forward a bit to September 3rd, 1916. It was on that day in the cool evening when only a few members of Parliament were in the House of Commons when it was in session. MPWS Logie of Northumberland was talking about the transportation of fish when there was a commotion at the front door and someone began to shout that there was a fire. Members in the press gallery did not rush out and quickly found themselves surrounded by black smoke as they made their way down the winding staircase. As they vacated the area, they came across Prime Minister Sir Robert Borden, along with his secretary, who were making their way to the exit, almost crawling on the ground to escape the smoke. Suddenly the lights went out and those who had took their time to leave were suddenly trapped in the dark with the smoke, trying to find their way out. George Elliot the mp for north middlesex began to call out to everyone to join hands so he could lead them to safety now let's go back in time a bit to the fire and how it started in the reading room of the house of commons smoking was prohibited but that didn't stop members from still doing it at some point someone discarded or left a cigar sitting on a stack of loose papers and it did not take long for those papers to ignite and before long the room was blazing with flames the fire spread and muffled explosions were happening throughout the building, and sparks went up into the sky. Reg Sissons, who was 20 at the time, raced to the scene of the fire and he relates what he saw there. I was working on Metcalf Street, the corner of Valley, and um, uh, we, I think we heard the alarm. I think it was Box 26, just up by the Rito Club on Wellington Street. Then of course we heard the fire reels. And uh, some of the white working with me went up the hill. Uh, we were not all the way up there when the fire seemed to be subsiding. We thought it was just a flash fire and was all out. All of a sudden, this this you could hear the explosion and the window seemed to blow out, and then the flame shot out of the east end. That's where the fire was concentrated at the time and it burned it was out of control then from then on we, we we had no idea that people were being burned in there alive you know as the fire began to spread mps realizing the danger as the fire began to spread mps who were realizing the danger did what they could to get out of the building thomas mcnutt and dr cash Both MPs from Saskatchewan were using the toilet when the fire broke out. They attempted to escape through the door but it was a wall of flames and they were forced to go out the window. The problem was they were not on the main floor. So the two men fashioned a rope using towels tied together. Cash was able to go out first and he dropped 20 feet from the end of this towel rope. McNutt and the janitor then managed to lower a ladder. Other MPs like Sir Thomas White were able to escape through the Senate. Albert Savini, the Speaker of the House, moved quickly to rescue his two children and wife from his office. With his wife, there were two other women named Florence Bray and Mabel Morin. He attempted to get the two women to leave with him and his family, but they insisted on getting their fur coats. They would suffocate in the smoke. Another woman, who had not been identified, climbed out a window and hung there for ten minutes until firefighters could get a net below her so she could drop 40 feet. The Minister of Agriculture, Martin Burel, would suffer burns to his hands and his face, and Prime Minister Robert Borden would run out into the cold night without his hat or coat, assisted by his 15-year-old page. Grayton O'Leary, a reporter at Parliament, climbed through a window on the main floor to get the typewriters out of the reporter's office. In his memoirs, he would state, By this time a great crowd had gathered and it was a bitterly cold night, and people caught in the building were coming down ladders or leaping into the snow beneath the windows. Firefighters worked hard to limit the fire and were able to save the library full of priceless books. A breeze that moved the fire away from the library also helped them in their efforts. Another reason that the library was saved was because of Alpheus Todd, the first parliamentary librarian. During the construction of the library, he was the one who suggested to the architects that a hallway and fireproof iron doors be installed to separate the library from the center block. Decades later his forethought would save that library. Another person who deserves thanks is Library Clerk Michael McCormick, who ordered the iron doors to be shut when he realized the fire was raging. Also saved was a large painting of Queen Victoria that hung in the Senate foyer, which was cut out of the frame on the night of the fire by quick-thinking staff. Something that was not saved was the historic mace used in the House of Commons as a symbol of their authority. It had been acquired in 1845 and used by the Province of Canada before Confederation. A wooden mace was used temporarily after the fire until a new mace was made. Just before 10pm, the tower at Parliament Hill was engulfed in flames. At 10pm, the tower rang its bells and did so again at 11pm. Before the clock could strike midnight though, the massive bell crashed through the tower to the bottom. At 1.21am, the tower crumbled into smouldering dust. As Charles Bishop of the Ottawa Citizen reported, the grand old tower put up a magnificent fight for survival, standing while the supports seemed to have burned away. It sent a solid pillow of twisting, billowing gold up into the winter night. Finally it came down, crashing into the concourse in front of it, and with it carrying the huge old clock, which had stayed illuminated and kept on striking to the last. Carlton Dunney, a firefighter who was there the night Parliament burned down, relates what he saw. I recollect this time fifty years ago. It's I was uh, having a game of pool when the alarm came in. After we, after the box had completed its striking, we put on our clothes and responded, which didn't excite us very much because we'd had uh, three four calls up there, which proved to be false. It, on the same night of each week at the same time to when we come to the corner of wellington and bank you just look up into the sky you could see the reflection then quite plain which appeared to me to be in the back portion of the building by the time the flames had died down a police officer a fireman three government employees and the two women already mentioned as well as mp bowman brown law were all dead it did not take long for Canadians to start passing the blame either. Since it was the First World War, the blame immediately went to the Germans and a terrorist plot to destroy the Parliament Hill. Newspapers began to state that spies were in Canada attempting to burn down our iconic buildings. Police began to round up anyone with a German-sounding name in the city and things were not helped by the local fire chief who insisted that the fire had been set and set well. Witnesses began to state that they had seen suspicious-looking foreigners in the area. One individual who was caught up in this hysteria was Charles Sloney. He was born in Belgium and was in Canada at the time when he was arrested in Windsor. He was accused of being part of the gang that apparently set the fire. The Ottawa Citizen reported that he spoke with a foreign accent and that his Belgian passport was believed to be a clever forgery. So what was the evidence against this poor man? Well... He had a postcard of the Parliament Buildings that he was carrying at the time he was arrested. Thankfully, he was released without charges. A royal commission was put together to find out what caused the fire, and they found no evidence of a conspiracy. They did place blame on those people who smoked cigars in the reading room, and the commission concluded that a system of ventilation, combined with far too much varnishing and the use of the driest form of pine, with many loose newspapers around, created the perfect storm for a fire to rage. While the Parliament buildings were repaired, the Library and House of Commons would convene in Victoria Memorial Museum. On hand was Sir Wilfrid Laurier, and the Ottawa Journal would report on his speech at the temporary House of Commons the day after the disaster. At one time, Sir Wilfrid's voice faltered and entirely broke. The veteran white-haired statesman, whose eloquence re-echoed through the halls of the Commons and ruins, was overcome with a depth of feeling. Sadly, Laurier would die before he would see the new building opened. On September 1st, 1916, exactly 56 years after his brother King Edward VII had put down the original cornerstone, Governor General Prince Arthur put down a new cornerstone. By 1917 the new parliament buildings were opened, and not quite as grand as the original but they were more fireproof. Then, 11 years later, the new tower was completed on the Parliament buildings, dedicated as the Peace Tower, in commemoration of the Canadians who gave their lives during the First World War. Officially marking the end of the reconstruction of the building and the beginning of a new life of Parliament. On February 3rd, 2016, Deputy Sergeant-at-Arms Patrick MacDonald carried the wooden mace in the Hall of Honour during the Speaker's Parade to mark 100 years since the fire. Information comes from Wikipedia, the Canadian Encyclopedia, the Library of Parliament, CBC, and the Hill Times. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, please give a rating and review. You can support the podcast by going to Patreon at patreon.com slash X, and you can also email me any questions you have at CanadianHistoryX@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.